0: We looked last week at <clears throat> Elijah's preparation for ministry, how he went through being called of the Lord, how he went through a time of hiding, of being prepared, of having to trust in the Lord and eventually know that that he is called of God. But now he's come out of hiding <clears throat> and we see that He gives them a great victory at Mount Carmel. One of the things that we see in this chapter, 1 Kings, chapter 18, is that God is in control. Even though there are times of drought, times of desolation, and Elijah, he doesn't let the situation get to him. When he's in hiding for three and a half years, when he was on his own and then was being cared for by the widow. He trusted in God. He didn't let his relationship with God be defined by his circumstances. His circumstances were a bit dire, but he knew that he was safe with God. His relationship was secure. That's where God had called him to be for that period of time. And he waits obediently, humbly, prayerfully until God gives him the command to go and do something. I know about you, but I've observed both in Elijah's situation and in other situations in the Bible as well as in real life that we experience, not that the Bible wasn't real life, (laughs) but sometimes if the Lord is about to use you powerfully, sometimes you go through a period of preparation. Jesus, before he began his ministry of preaching and teaching and healing, he went through 40 days in the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil. Moses, well, he first tried to to help the Israelites in his own strength and he killed an Egyptian but it backfired on him. When he thought Pharaoh would hear, he scarpered off, he left the country. But he ended up learning to tend sheep And 40 years of being a shepherd prepared him for being able to lead the people out of Egypt through the Red Sea and towards the Promised Land. There are many situations like that in the Bible and sometimes we find that in real life ourselves. So if you're going through a difficult time, if you're going through a time where, like Elijah was with the widow or at the brook, and things don't seem to be going great, well maybe God is preparing you maybe God is preparing us for something still to come let's keep praying that God will change our circumstances that he'll use the present situation that whatever we might find ourselves in and he will bless and he will bring something powerful out of it let's keep looking to him that's what Elijah did and then later on in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, go and present yourself to King Ahab. Tell him that I will soon send rain. <coughs> when God says go, Elijah went. When God told Moses to go, Moses was said, who am I? I can't do this. And God got a wee bit upset with him. God has told us to go with the gospel. We have the great commission of the last words in Matthew's gospel. We don't need another command to go and and share the gospel with people, to make disciples. We've already been commissioned. We've already been sent as a church, as God's people. But sometimes the Lord is holding us back Sometimes we're in the situation where Elijah was before he'd been told to go. And we simply have to wait. Whatever situation you're in, be content. If you're, if you're in a waiting situation, wait. But when the Lord says go, let's not dilly-dally. Let's just get on with it. So Elijah went to Ahab. And as we read this story, we might think that this is all about Elijah versus Ahab, Elijah versus the the prophets that that Ahab was supporting, and the prophets of Baal, the prophets of Asher that his wife Jezebel was supporting as well. Yet, in a real sense, this story isn't about Elijah versus Ahab, or even Elijah versus the false prophets. As we read through the chapter we'll we'll see who the story is really about. We get to the real focus of attention, God's real purpose for this encounter. <coughs> but first let's get started. Elijah at Mount Carmel. Well, <clears throat> Mount Carmel is it's actually quite a big mountain range. It's not just a mountain. It's not like Arigal, it's like nearly like a pyramid that goes up and there's a big point at the top. Mount Carmel is a mountain range and it's near the sea near Haifa in modern Israel. And it's it's quite flat. It's like Table Mountain just outside Sligo, except much bigger. There's certainly enough room up there for the people of Israel, for the prophets to gather. now a national park in Israel. Elijah calls them all, the prophets of Baal, the prophets of Asherah. And he calls them to set up an altar. And he's going to set up another altar. And from morning to evening, the prophets of Baal call out to their so-called God, but there was no answer. Elijah taunted them, making fun of them. His purpose isn't really to belittle the God that other people are worshipping. We shouldn't belittle other people's religions. But what he's doing is he's, he's essentially showing that this is idolatry, this is false worship. While other religions that don't worship God are wrong, we have to respect people's views. We respect the people Who hold those views. We don't respect the religion per se. We don't agree that it's right. But we respect the people. But sometimes there is a time, and Elijah was doing this, not out of disrespect for the people, but simply to show, to prove that this God is no God at all, that they oughtn't to worship him. So they shouted louder and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. But still there was no sound, no reply, no response. This kind of dancing, raving around an altar was something that was quite common in other religions at the time, in other countries, so this isn't something that they just did on this occasion. This would be the normal practice for for people in worship of other gods. And yet, we have no need for that. Jesus tells us not to be babbling on and praying and praying and trying to impress God by the amount of words or, or anything that we do. And later on we'll see that Elijah doesn't do anything similar. He simply prays. A short prayer and God answers. The prophets of Baal would naturally have thought that, well, Baal is the is in the clouds. He's the God of rain. In a sense, this will be easy. At least that's what the impression that the Israelites should have thought. This, This should be easy for the Baal God. If he's a God of rain... He should be able to bring down, um, or sorry, he should be able to, to bring down fire. He should be able to to make this altar set alight. I once heard a sermon where a preacher was talking about the prophets of Baal. They used to secretly, through some means, either through a tunnel or something, be able to set fire to their altars, while nobody could see where they would maybe have somebody who would just give the God a little helping hand and just set the fire going. But that may have been down in their normal practices, in their normal places. But there's no tunnels or there's nothing that they can do up on Mount Carmel because Elijah has chosen the location. They're not able to use their usual trickery to, to set their altars on fire. Sometimes people will use, well give God a little helping hand, to to make something look impressive. Bethel Church has a, a reputation for some things which are a wee bit outlandish, and one of the things that they do is they claim that there's stardust or something comes down when they're worshipping and it's like glitter it just comes down in the middle of the worship they get a massive great big warehouse type church or auditorium and in the middle of the worship this glitter comes down and yet one person who later left the church admitted that it was her job to be up at the air conditioner and to put the sprinkle into it so that if we get pushed out and it will come down on the people. Giving a little extra hand to, to make things look impressive. It's something similar that would have likely have happened um, with the prophets of Baal. But they can't do that up on Mount Carmel. There's nothing happens, no fire, no response. And then Elijah turns to his people. He sets up another altar. But he doesn't do it on his own. He gets the Israelites to help. There had been an altar to God there, but for some reason it had been destroyed, maybe through neglect, maybe through the prophets of Baal just having a go at it. Elijah is in the process of rebuilding. And so he rebuilds this altar. And he doesn't, the, the kingdom is split between the north and the south, the ten tribes in the north and the two tribes in the south. But Elijah sees the people as God's people, not as they appear to be a divided kingdom. And he builds the altar with 12, tri- 12 stones representing the 12 tribes. He cuts the bull, lays it on top of the firewood on the altar. And he could have just called on God to set fire to it. But in order to prove that there's no trickery, he dices it in water. Mount Carmel, even during times of drought, there was a little spring, a little brook, where they could have filled up with water. Even at this time, we're three and a half years of, of no rain so they covered with water they drench it and then he says <clears throat> do it again and as if that wasn't enough he says drench it again and so the water pours over everything everything is soaking it even fills up the, the trench that is dug around the altar And now it is time for God to act. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. (coughs) The fact is, there had been a drought for three and a half years and this had been casting a serious doubt in the minds of the Israelites on Baal. He should have been able to provide rain for them. And over time, when when things aren't going the way you expect them to go, you start to have doubts. I know somebody who used to follow a, a faith healer from one mega event to another, hoping to, to get her son healed. And after a while, when it wasn't happening here, it wasn't happening there, she began to doubt, is this going to happen at all? Is this ever going to happen? She doubted the <clears throat> the healers. She doubted herself most of all because the message that she was getting was, well, it's not our fault, it's, you haven't had enough faith. But doubt comes in when things aren't going the way they ought to, the way you expect them to. The background is that the Israelites were over three and a half years and sometimes it takes that length of time for for doubt to really sink in they hear that God is the one true God but sometimes it takes time for them to, to really think it through to really feel the implications of if we were right with God maybe this drought wouldn't have been happening the background is that the people were They didn't know what to believe. They weren't sure. And the issue is that this is not a contest simply to prove who is the real God. This isn't a contest between Elijah and Ahab, between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. It is in one sense, but the real contest, the real purpose of what God is doing here is he's trying to get his people's hearts to turn back to him. He's trying to woo the people back to himself, to prove to them that he is their God, that they ought to follow him. Let's look at what Elijah says as he prays just before God comes down with fire on the altar. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice that would have been in the temple in Jerusalem, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God. And that you have brought them back to yourself. The ESV, a more literal translation, has that last verse, two verses. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. The purpose of this whole encounter is that God wants to turn the people's hearts back to him. And then immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull the wood, the stones and the dust and even licked up all the water in the trench Have you ever tried to light a campfire and the matches are damp the wood's too green and damp or the kindling the straw and the twigs are wet or it's just pelting down with rain It's impossible to get a campfire going in that situation. (coughs) We know what it's like looking at the news at the minute where we're seeing firefighters put out fires in lots of parts of the world, especially Europe. Water is very effective at putting out fires, whether it's the hoses that they use or the airplanes that drop water. Elijah has doused this altar in water. people knew that there could be no trickery there's no secret way that this altar is going to be set on fire if something happens it'll be because God has worked and Elijah has no shouting no prolonged prayer no dancing no raving no self mutilation he doesn't do anything himself he simply calls on God to work in power a simple prayer and then, as our Ashley would say, boom, <laughs> it happens. The fire comes down. Not a lightning bolt, which could be said to be in a natural occurrence, but fire comes down. <clears throat> Can you imagine? It's in the summer and the kids are on their holidays and a mechanic is with his son in the back garden trying to light a campfire. But it just isn't lighting, and no matter what the sun does, uh, yeah, they've got a lighter. They've got, but it's just not lighting. And so the mechanic says, "Hold on, son," and he goes off to the garage and he comes back, dragging his oxyacetylene welder. (laughs) And he turns the knob, he lights a wee flame, and he says, "Stand back." And then he turns the the flame up, and wish he just just engulfs the whole thing in fire. And by the time he's finished, he says, that got it going, son. There's nothing left. It's just charcoal. It's He didn't just get it going. It's gone. Well, God too sends a jet of fire down from heaven. The bull is burnt to a crisp. The wood is reduced to ash. The stones are... Not only black, but they're likely cracked and crushed to pieces from the heat. And all the dust of the loose soil is, is baked in the heat as well. The water that was in the trench all around is just sucked up and just evaporates. And the question, who is God, is answered unmistakably. Baal is not God. But the God of the Israelites The God of Elijah The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob He is the one true God This situation is not something That is What we should replicate What we should expect In an evangelistic context God does work powerfully In evangelistic contexts at times but this isn't the norm. <coughs> As some people say, that you need signs and wonders to prove that God is real. To prove that that God is a true God. It's interesting that Jesus, when he was telling the parable of the rich man and the beggar, Lazarus, not the one who was raised again from the dead, but a different Lazarus, That when this rich man is sent into hell, he calls upon Abraham to send... Lazarus had died first out of starvation because he wasn't helping him. He wasn't providing for the poor. And so from hell he asks, he calls on Abraham. It's It's a metaphorical story. It's a parable. We don't know if people can talk to those in heaven from hell, but we get the point. Yes, and send send Lazarus back from the dead to go and warn my brothers so that they don't end up coming here as well. It seems his responsibility as the eldest in the family was to... He had a spiritual responsibility to lead the family and he hadn't led them well and they're likely all going to be judged and follow him there, which will increase his punishment in hell. But... Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. For I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so that they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn back to God. But Abraham said, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets... They won't be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. Miracles can help God's word, but miracles alone will not change hearts. When Jesus did miracles, instead of being convicted that that they ought to follow him, this is, ah, he's doing that by the power of the devil miracles will not change hearts it's god's word that will change hearts that's the point of that parable as well in luke chapter 16 but this miracle that god has been doing was not there to change hearts from unbelievers to believers but was to to woo his people back to himself he turns the hearts of his people back to him we said earlier that God sent Elijah to Ahab to have a showdown with his false prophets but the story wasn't about Elijah, Ahab or even the false prophets. The story was about God and his love for his people. Remember that Elijah had asked the people back at the start after they had three and a half years of drought as if they had enough time then to to make up their minds so Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and asked, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. This is the real heart of the matter. The hearts of the people. Who are, who are the Israelites going to follow? but now after the fire's come down, they can't sit on the fence any longer. They have to choose. Elijah knows that the Lord has turned the people's hearts back to him. And he calls them now to exercise faith in him, to show it, to prove it. And he calls on them after they exclaimed, yes, the Lord is God. He calls on them to put away their false religion. And he brings judgment, death on those false prophets. That might sound harsh. And it is harsh. But it is deserved. They were leading people astray. They were <clears throat> they were intent on trying to lead people away into an eternal destruction. It was devilish work that they were doing. It was serious work. And all that Elijah does is just bring forward part of their eternal punishment. Hell is a reality and we've got to avoid that. The only way is to turn to Jesus. So they were going to die one way or another and Elijah brings it forward for them. So the people get rid of the false prophets. That's like having reform in the land. And they make a commitment to follow the Lord. Then Elijah prays for rain. The significance of this, or rain being restored, is not simply to prove that Elijah is the follower of the true God. The the rain coming down is a symbol of the restoration that happens once we turn back to God. Elijah prayed, and what looked like, eventually, looked like just a small nothing almost in the sky. Elijah could see that, yes, that's a sign of something that's going to grow. And sometimes we see little things that appear insignificant, but with the eyes of faith, with the eyes of wisdom we can sometimes see the Lord's at work and these things grow. And so, the rain comes, Elijah tells Ahab, listen, you better get going in your chariot because there were miles of plain that were going to be swamped with water and he would get stuck. He wouldn't be able to make it back through. God's face had turned away from the people for a while so that they would learn. God brought the fire down on Mount Carmel so that they would know. And now God is bringing the rain back to them so that they will be blessed. We can sometimes wonder, what is the Lord doing in in our lives? Is, Is there a situation where we're lacking His bless- blessing. Is there something that we would love to see restored more? Sometimes it's a preparation stage, like Elijah with the widow or at the brook. At other times, it's because He's withholding for some reason. But He will shower His blessing upon us. Whatever it is, let's pray, and that's let's examine our own hearts to see are we like the people wavering, wandering maybe following some other God materialism other things temporarily but the Lord here he loves his people and he brings them back to himself the Lord here is faithful to his people God's people receive blessing again. And what we see is that if, as Paul tells Timothy, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny who he is. God is a faithful God. When he calls us, he doesn't just change his mind halfway through. If God promises eternity, he doesn't change the conditions What he has started, he will finish. Even if we wander, even if we are unfaithful. Well, he is faithful. Paul says, I know him whom I've believed and he will complete that which I've entrusted to him. We entrust our lives to him. He will bring us through to eternity with him. We are unfaithful at times, but God woos us back. God is gentle. God sometimes works spectacularly to show us, listen, I'm here, turn back. But how can he cope with our unfaithfulness? He doesn't just sweep it under the carpet. There's only one way, and that's through the cross of Christ. Our unfaithfulness is dealt with on the cross. Our sins are forgiven because Jesus took our sins upon himself. He became the sin offering. His blood was shed. His death was given. And so those Old Testament sacrifices, the bull on the altar, all of those sacrifices were visual aids of what was to happen on the cross of Calvary. The cross hadn't been invented yet as a means of death, of crucifixion. But the altars, the sacrifices of animals, they were enough to let the people know that if they placed their faith in God's means of sacrifice that this pointed to, that they would be righteous. And so our unfaithfulness is dealt with on the cross The Israelites' unfaithfulness was dealt with ultimately on the cross as well. And we have a choice, just like they did, whether it's in a little thing or a big thing, to be faithful to God, to turn back to Him, to not waver, to not having one foot in the world, one foot following God. We need to be all in following God and then we will be blessed. So if you're finding that God is wooing you, leading you back, drawing you back to him, then don't dilly-dally. Turn to him and he will bless. The rain will come down. Things will be restored. We know that ultimately when we turn to him, we will have restoration of all things in eternity. When there will be complete healing, there will be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more pain any longer. Ultimately, Mount Carmel is a testimony of God's faithfulness to his people. It's not a contest primarily between Elijah and the false prophets. But through that encounter... God draws his people back to himself. If he's drawing us back to him, let's go with him. And let's be faithful as he is faithful to us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that that you are unchanging. You're not fickle. Lord, we are prone to wander, but Lord, you're faithful to your promises. We thank you that you keep your promises. And that when we turn to you through faith in Christ, you will guarantee that we make it through, no matter what difficulties we face now, no matter how much we might wander, Lord, we will make it through by your grace, by your love, by your power, by your faithfulness. So, Lord, help us to depend upon you. Help us to to keep close to you. And, Lord, if we're far Help us to return to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.